0: dogs and cats for that matter but dogs are not supposed to be gross so we have a lot of um you know if you i always tell people if you go to the park you go to the dog park and you like, and you pet a dog and it's it's crazy it's like their teeth are rotting out of their mouth they have their their they're they're oily like you pet them and they're, they're, your hands are now oily and they smell bad um they're pooping out cow pies none of this should be happening but this is this is how our mindset is now we, we think of dogs as like these gross like things that live in our house and it's not it's not i have three dogs they're not gross you know they they eat the right diet and that you know eliminates a lot of these things from happening so um just know that dogs aren't supposed to be gross dogs i see a lot of it out there with all these you know um, a lot of dogs who are severely overweight um, have lumps all over them Uh, terrible teeth and it's just kind of starting to become the norm and i don't want that to happen
1: we are looking forward our way from studio c in the 511 studios in the brewery district that's uh, just south of downtown columbus ohio hi this is brett i've been a pet owner for years i think i've mentioned miles on our podcast Mm -hmm. a few times and he's an important part of the family over the years i've dealt with questions on what to feed him what care is critical how to budget to meet those needs a few years ago, I met our guest, Anthony Centilli, Owner of Fangs and Fur, and to be quite honest, he has a great podcast called Fangs and Fur as well. Uh, For those of you not familiar with this local independent owner-operated shop, we're excited to have Anthony join us today. Thanks, Anthony. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Thank you guys for having me. I'm I'm excited to get in our conversation today.
1: Cool. Well, And this is pretty cool.
2: Um, I'm not a pet owner, so um, Brett brought Anthony in, and great plug there for not only his Fangs and Fur podcast, but Brett helps him with that podcast, so very cool Yes, yeah oh, we're keeping it in the family keeping today yes Anthony and I are both Italian we've been over here comparing <laughs> yeah. notes of who we yeah. know so Anthony thanks so much for yeah, podcasting course. with us today you know I have to admit fangs and fur was not on my radar screen since I'm not a pet owner um, you're committed to providing dogs and cats with food supplements and accessories they need for a healthy life but let's start out first by hearing your story tell us tell our audience about your background
0: Yeah. So I, um, I'm actually originally, um, from here in Columbus. Uh, I moved out west after college and, um, of course thought it'd be a good idea to get a, an Australian shepherd. Uh, (laughs) but you know, get my first job, uh, get my first dog.
2: How how Um, big is that? Was that dog?
0: Oh, he's not very big. He's only like 30 some pounds, 32 pounds. Um, he's he's still here. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, they're high energy. Um, which is great. He was great for me at the time. I mean, still is. He's a great dog. He's still around. Um, he's gonna. He's 12 years old now. But um, yeah, so it started with him, really. I When I got him as a puppy, he was really struggling with food. Just couldn't digest food. I mean, constant. I mean, if you know anything about Australian shepherds, they have really long hair. And so when they uh, aren't processing food correctly, it's pretty messy on the back end. Um, so I was, you know, um, constantly giving him baths because he just couldn't process his food, just diarrhea, through vomiting. Um, and the vet put him on all these uh, medications and all this food, um, processed food, and nothing was working. And it was getting better, or it was getting, it was start, it was starting to get a lot worse. And so, um, I remember I walked into a, it's a kind of a locally owned pet shop in downtown Seattle. Uh, it's called Mud Bay. And the one of the ladies there asked me. She's she said, "Well, if you had a pet snake, like what would you feed it?" And I was like, "Well, I guess like a mouse, right?" And she's like, "Well, yeah. Why would you, why wouldn't you apply the same logic to your dog?" And it was at that point I'd never thought about what dogs would normally be eating if it wasn't up to us. Mm-hmm. Um, it certainly wouldn't be processed pet food, right? Um, and so I did. So I, I she gave me this. Um, these patties, these raw patties, made by Northwest Naturals, so I think is the first one I tried, and immediately, I mean, a he liked it. He wouldn't even really eat the processed food, and when he did, he had massive issues. Um, so this, I put it down and devoured it, and I'm like, okay, this is well, that's good, but we'll see how what happens on the back end. And you know, within a day, I mean, he was he had solid stools for the first time I've had him in six months. Um, and his his fur came back, his energy came back. He was like a whole different dog. Um, and so, I, it was at that time where I just really started becoming passionate. I started looking into what was what was going on in the pet food world and how how we got here. Um, as far as feeding our dogs, you know, this ultra processed, super dehydrated, um, pretty much pellets of corn uh, with synthetic sprayed on top, and um, he had also, we had also, at the same time, he he actually had to go to the emergency clinic because he was eating these treats um, that were advertised as um, natural, 100% natural chicken jerky treats. Um, it turns out they were not made here in the U.S. They are made in another country and they were using um, a plastic resin. Uh, so he was vomiting and there were like these pellets of like translucent um, plastic, it looked like. And, and we lived this is uh, my ex-girlfriend and I live in this really small apartment downtown Seattle. It was like, you know, very small, um, studio apartment. And, um, I mean, it was like, so we knew everything he was getting into. Right. And so we're like, what is going on? the only thing he's been eating is this chicken drinking. And It turns out that they yeah, this company was using a plastic resin, um, meth, um, uh, melanin, I think, it, or I can't remember what it's called, but, um, and they eventually it took him like two years to get it recalled. Um, you know, knowing every, there's tons of dogs dying of, of this uh, millennium poisoning at the time. But um, so I, I, all these things are happening at the same time. And as I started looking into um, getting out nutrition and, and pet food and all that. And so, um, and I was working for Hyatt hotels at the time and I, all of a sudden I'm at work and I'm constantly talking about, I'm, I'm, like, I'm like converting all these people into feeding, you know, at least fresh food, adding some fresh food or most likely uh, trying to get some raw food in that dog's diet. Um, and I was having a really big impact on all these people and their dogs, you know, and I was, wasn't even working for, you know, I was working for hotels, I wasn't even, you know. And um, so that's kind of where the idea came, where it and, started from. You
2: know, <clears throat> I've helped people get jobs for decades, and I have to say this is such a clear example of how something so different happens yeah. in your world yeah. and literally changes your whole career path.
0: It does. Yeah, one hundred percent. I'd always been fascinated ever since I was a kid I was I was very I've always been interested in animals, you know. it's just been from the start. So it's kind of I always look back and it's like I don't know why I didn't do something like this earlier. Like Mm -hmm. why I just kinda went down that path of doing, you know, what you know, your kind of standard, you know, go to high school, go to college and get a degree in, you know, political science is what I do. Business. You know (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it kind of makes sense that, you know, it kind of happened this way, I guess, but
1: yeah. Interesting. Well, your hospitality gig probably was a great training ground because you had face to face with a lot of people. So (laughs) why let's dive into, you know, you had that background and then, okay, you created Fangs and Fur. Why, how, and, and how do you think you're pulling your background you've you've kind of alluded to it a little bit already, the passion, but some other things like I'm gonna do this, kind of walk us through that, yeah.
0: I well, you know, I was an operations manager for Hyatt for almost ten years, and so it it's kind of like you're running a a business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're you know, hiring and firing and uh, financials and and everything else. Um, but the big thing, so you know it's just as far as kind of starting a business and and understanding the business, I think it really helped. Um, but also, you know, you really learn a lot about people in that business. Um, and I think that's something that at Fangs and Fur, we do really well is we, um, we treat everyone and we treat every pet as an individual because they're so different. Um, you know, and it's not just the same, I guess, solution for every pet. It's going to be a little different. Mm Um, and that was the same with with hospitality. You know, whenever there's an issue with some you know, a guest had an issue or whatever, like it was everyone is so different, you know. And so, you know, listening is like the biggest thing I learned from hospitality. It's just sometimes people just want to be heard. You know? <laughs> you know. Yeah, and um true. I think a lot of people come in get frustrated whether, you know, if they if they've been to their vet or um somewhere else and, and they just they felt like they weren't heard. Um and so we, we we do our best to try to listen and, and figure out really what's going on underneath surface. So. Interesting, yeah. great, great.
2: Yeah. So <clears throat> even for those of us who don't have pets, we're all bombarded <clears throat> by commercials. Mm-hmm. Um, and as uh, Brett has taught me, it's called the you know traditional dog food is kibble, no. <laughs> that dry stuff that bangs into the to the bowl. Yeah. Um, so those dry pellets, we lug them from the grocery store to our yeah. house. How is this huge? pet food industry How was it created um Mm -hmm. and how it such um awareness to push pet owners to fill those grocery carts with that kibble type product
0: yeah it's like how did we get here
2: yeah um
0: you know a lot of people you know especially my generation older generations as well where all all we've ever known is kibble Mm
2: -hmm.
0: so we never even thought twice about it i never thought twice about it um until all this stuff happened with my dog um but kibble was really, I mean, kibble was developed by James Pratt in like the Spratt by, I think it was like 1856 or something like that. So a lot of people don't know this, but pet food was developed before veterinary medicine, before veterinary medicine schools were, were developed in this country. So um, veterinary schools are actually made, they came out of the pet food industry. <laughs> so there's a heavy, heavy influence in the veterinary world when it comes to processed pet food for that reason. Um, But it really became popular after World War II. So, you know, everyone comes home from the war. uh, You know, both people in the house are working. You have nuclear families developing, so you've you know, bunch of you know, kids, um, and everyone is really busy, right? So, kibble was really became popular just because it's convenient, um, and it's you know, it's it's a lot of it's high profits for shareholders because it's it's a very cheaply made food. And they sell it for a pity penny. And so there's a lot of money to be made on on kibble. Um, but, you know, nutrition was never considered or even a thought um, when it came to the development of, of dry pet food. Um, just wasn't part of the equation. Um, it's... the A lot of these companies that, you know, own these dry pet foods are cereal companies. Okay, so, oh, okay. Um, you know, General Mills and Kellogg's and... Mars and all these companies uh, that make processed pet food, they processed food, junk food for humans, also make these, you know, they're the umbrella companies over these dry pet foods as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of power, a lot of influence there.
1: Yeah. Mm. So you've got that history walking into how we feed our pets, but there are new theories and research on correct food, better food our pets should have to live long and better. Can we talk yeah. a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, there's, I mean, it's so funny to me because I never thought that um, advocating for real food for our pets would be so controversial. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, cause we're all biological beings, right? So they, they need fresh food just as much as we need fresh food. And we know there's not a physician on earth that says you need to eat more ultra processed food.
2: <laughs> you need to eat
0: more synthetic food. Right. No one says that. Sure. No one says that, but, and you know, I'm going to, I'm, Dr. Karen Becker, who, if you don't follow her, she's fantastic. She is a uh, she's a veterinarian, um, really big on feeding real food, fresh food. Um, but she, I'm, I'm paraphrasing her, but she said, you know, it's really sad that my peers, so other veterinarians, are the last physicians on earth to recommend uh, fresh food over processed food. Um, so, anyways, there's there's not to to answer your question. You know, there's there's a lot of studies now, but in my eyes, it's like why do we don't need the studies? We already know. Fresh food is better, right? But there are some really cool studies there. Uh, Dr. Anna Bjorkman, the, the biggest study to date is um, Dr. Anna Bjorkman, who uh, she's a um, veterinarian professor at University of Hels- Helsinki in Finland. And um, they have one of the largest studies to date on fresh food versus kibble. And so they're measuring homocysteine levels, which is an, uh, an amino acid in dogs, uh, essentially dogs that, that were fed, it's a disease marker. Um, and so they they compared that with you know dogs that are being fed raw food versus processed food, and um, they actually had four groups to kind of get into it. They had four groups: they had dogs that were on kibble and stayed on kibble, dogs that were on kibble and went to raw, dogs that were fed raw and stayed on raw, and dogs that were fed raw and went to kibble. Yeah. Um, and so they kind of it was really neat. So the dogs that had that were on raw food and stayed on raw food had the lowest levels of homocysteine in their bodies, which is great which we already knew, right? Um, And then the dogs that are fed kibble and stayed on kibble had the highest levels. But what was really cool was the dogs that went from kibble to raw actually had a huge decrease in homocysteine. Mm -hmm. So I always tell people like, you know, it's never too late, you know, um, to transition your dog.
2: When you think about that, the reason kibble has become successful is because they have convinced us it is real food. That kibble is real food. Yeah. The the marketing, the marketing. commercialization, what's written on they the put, packages. They put real food on the package. And, and real dog. They might put and a yeah. wolf on
0: the package. Exactly. Like it's like their ancestral <laughs> exactly. diet. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. yeah, no, not even close. And,
2: and so the although the research is not really telling you anything new. Yeah. The research is going to add to individuals' belief that I can't believe that package. Just like. Um, when you see something you know reduced sodium well yeah. it starts out 10 times too much sodium and then yeah. it goes down to eight times too much sodium is reduced but not really yeah so that's
0: Yeah there's there's a lot of problems with with dry food and I don't want to sh- I'm not I I never shame anyone for de- for feeding um dry food or processed or kibble processed food or whatever you want to call it um it's just about what we can how much real food can we get back into the diet mm-hmm. right um so if you can only do a little bit great um the same, the same um, study, the dog risk study that I was referring to, they determined that just doing less, about 20% of the dog's diet with real food. So just 20%. So taking out 20% of processed food and putting 20% of real food in there can have a huge impact on decreasing disease um, and increasing longevity, mm-hmm. just 20%. I always tell people if you're eating McDonald's three times a day and all of a sudden you're like, you know what, I'm going to eat, you know, a real meal for one of those meals that's going to have an impact, you know, right. so... Um, yeah, kibble is, um, you know, the major problem with kibble is it's it's forty to sixty percent carbohydrates, um, and dogs being facultative carnivores, you know, they have, they, they have zero dietary requirements for carbohydrates. They don't need carbohydrates. Um, I'm not saying there's not a place for it in their diet in a small amount, but to make it the majority of their food is a is a big concern because. All those carbohydrates convert to sugar in the body, they feed inflammation, they feed cancer, they feed yeast, they feed, you know, all these issues we see in our dogs, diabetes, kidney disease, all these things that are happening um, is directly, you know, tied to their diet.
2: But you know, one of the issues that people have, because they hear this, and goodness knows what they're reading to hear it, um, that natural food, real food is more expensive. And many Mm -hmm. of our listeners are on fixed incomes. How can we help them realize that you can do this without breaking the bank you did mention you know just reducing a bit Mm -hmm. of the kibble are there other ways that they can um, still get a better diet for their dogs? yeah
0: I this is a really common question I I like to tell people and it's funny because when I when I start talking to people and listening to people I find out that they're paying they're paying a lot of money for like different kind of medications every month I mean 200 300 dollars every month I'm like if we could just replace their diet with an actually healthy diet, you would cut down those, if not eliminate those those costs and, and medication mm-hmm. um, so that's something to look look at you know when you're feeding real food you know I have a when you're feeding raw food or you're feeding a, you know a fresh food diet you are you shouldn't be paying much money at the vet office that's the whole the whole point is to keep your dog healthy It's preventative medicine so um you know, I my I have a same Australian Shepherd I was talking about before, a Mozzie. You know, he's twelve years old. He's never had a teeth cleaning in his life. He's got perfect teeth. Um, I just this is random, but kibble does not clean your dog's teeth.
1: <laughs> it is a huge myth.
0: If your dentist told you to eat a hard cookie, chocolate chip cookie every day to keep your teeth clean, you would never go back to that dentist. I'm Boy, but does it that sound
2: good? Yeah, yeah.
0: It's, I mean, yeah. And people like to hear it. But I thought kid will clean their teeth. No. Eighty percent of dogs in this country have periodontal disease before they're three years old. So um but going back to Mozzie, I mean he's he he just never had a teeth clean in his life. He gets he's been raw fed since he was six months old. Um and he gets raw meaty bones all the time. But anyways, I don't he you know, I I do blood work with him because he's a senior, so just to test, um, make sure everything's good. That's the only money I spend on him, as far as you know, vet bills. Um, and we've had my vet on the podcast before, and he, and he yes, and he'll, he'll tell you. But you
2: didn't bring him here for us today, so I no 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 no. <laughs>
0: uh, he's a great guy, and uh, but you know, he he said something too. I think on our podcast actually had mentioned that, you know, in China when you when you get sick you don't go back to that doctor that you had been going to because they didn't do their job to keep you healthy. Interesting. So they go. it's all about preventative care.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, that's kind of his aspect to it too, his perspective mm-hmm. on it too. So.
1: That's good. We've read that, um, and you have heard that pet ownership is vital for many people, especially older adults who are not able to socialize as they did in their earlier years. Why do you think owning a pet is so important for individuals and families? Because obviously you see that dynamic walking in your store every day. yeah. So you knew that, you know, you knew something about that beforehand, but you're seeing it in real life with the store. What do you think? Where are you, what do you, what's your feelings about why it's so important and and how to cultivate it? Well, it keeps, it keeps you moving. It keeps you active. (laughs) You got to, and and it gives you a
0: sense of purpose as well. You're taking care of something that you really love. And I, I saw this question and I I thought, I there's one customer in particular. She's she's older. She's in her 80s, and um, she just got a golden retriever less than two years ago. And this thing very well. My, I mean, the way she takes care of it, it's probably gonna outlive us all. Um, but it just gives her so much purpose, and she's and it she it keeps her so active. I feel like she's so much healthier um, because of it. Um, because of, because of her dog and, you know, her family helps her out and she has plans in case something happens, you know, um, what happens to the dog and all that. But, you know, she's, this dog gives her so much life, you know? So, um, I think, you know, obviously I don't recommend, you know, rescuing a, you know, 70 pound pit bull from the pound. (laughs) Yeah, it's not what I'm. I mean, not for not for everyone, right? Right, not for. Everyone. Um, yeah, true, you know, finding the right dog, you know, and and um, something that maybe, or or you know, on that same token, like you know, not getting a border collie like I have, you know, <laughs> super active doesn't stop. There's no stop in those dogs. Um, but finding something that's a little more laid back, but you know, give you, um, as far as you know, for the the older generation, I think it's you know, it brings you a lot of joy. It brings you a lot of happiness. Um, you know, I think we all saw during COVID how how detrimental just being um, secluded, being lonely was to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And so having that pet in your life can really bring you a lot of joy. And I think it's also there's also a lot of good data, good research showing what it does on your stress levels, right. um, decreasing stress levels and keeping you active and um, actually extending your longevity as well. So,
2: really, really giving yeah. you a positive outlook on yeah, life. Exactly. Um, as you said, it's um, when um, you have something, someone to focus on to yeah. help and support, um, it's really helping you too. So you're reducing stress, you're getting more exercise, positive outlook. Next logical question, how can we make pet ownership easier for older adults? Is there any? Are there any other tips that you might have for them?
0: Yeah, I think. Well, again, I think breed is important. You know, I think paying attention to what kind of breed you're getting um, is really important. Like, you know, getting a really big, strong dog might not be
2: the best <laughs> bet. I mean, I've, I've seen that in my neighborhood. People who yeah, are just like the, yeah. the the leash is taut, right? <laughs> as, right. A, as the dog there's, is dragging them.
0: There's a place for little <laughs> little smaller dogs in this world. Teacups. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah, I think finding the right dog is probably probably the most important thing.
2: You know, one of our uh, previous um, podcasting experts came in and uh, one of the local food banks, more than one of the local, but many of the local food banks um, actually get donations of pet food to help people who are also using the food bank. Mm -hmm. Um, That's all kibble. You know, that, that might be a a strategy that we would want to look at and say, what can we do to help the dogs stay healthy? Because that individual, that older individual, if they're using a food bank, they don't have money for a vet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, um, there's an interesting, um, case to be made for, uh, specifically like homeless people that have pets. Um, they're actually really healthy. I mean, a lot of times they're. They're really healthy. Metabolically they're really healthy because they're walking a lot. They're outside mm-hmm. a lot. They're being able to use their senses and uh, smell and investigate, you know, and um being in different environments. It's more like their ancestral living than right. you know, than being stuck in a back in suburbia, you know, in the backyard it's a whole entire life. So um but yeah, and I also think those 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 animals too, you know, I've seen I've seen a lot of them. And they look that most of them look really healthy. And I think, I think they're also getting fed food. So we, we think that, you know, I, I hear a lot of times people say, you know, we don't feed any table scraps and I'm like, what are, what does that even mean? I mean, food, food is food. It's not, there's not human food and there's not dog food. It's just food, right? So knowing what foods dogs can eat and what's good for them and being able to supplement with that, I think is really important.
2: But, and and two, I think the message is that you know, when I'm thinking table scraps, I'm thinking food that has been cooked in a way that's not good for an animal. Yeah. So th- there's there's that differentiation.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, obviously cooked bone is not good, right? Mm-hmm. So bone is the ancestral diet of a dog, right? So you have, um, uh, you know, most of our diets are about 10% bone. Um, we have a lot of people that do DIY that, you know, 50% of the diet is, Turkey necks or chicken necks or uh, wings, things like that, because um, dogs are meant to digest raw bone. Uh, but when it's cooked, the collagen hardens and can splinter and can cause, um, oh, okay. yeah, some choking, intestinal damage, and things like that. Um, but yeah, there's obviously some foods that we, you know, you want to avoid in, with the dog. But um, you know, most of the stuff. It's funny we um, we did a podcast with Dr. Ian Billinghurst, who's this. Uh, He's an older vet from Australia. He doesn't he's not practicing anymore, but he, um, in in Australia, as he was talking about on the podcast. Everyone was feeding table scraps for up until like the mid '80s and the '90s. Everyone was just feeding their dogs table scraps. Whatever the kids were eating, the dogs were eating too. And his dogs were healthy. The dogs that coming in his practice were healthy dogs. You know, almost no cancer, uh, no kidney issues the diabetes uh, dental health was good no periodontal disease it wasn't until they introduced processed pet food down there and um, around that time when you started seeing the uptake and all those and all hmm. those issues so
2: okay
1: yeah. yeah you know working with you I, has opened my eyes to what i do with our dog and also i'm an advocate of just you know when the conversation comes up about what they feed your pet kind of talking about you know what you've talked about and just and without telling them what to do, it's like you know I've heard I've heard I heard you know really yeah. work, like working with fangs and fur you know that's like, it's kind of fun, but you know when we first started working too with with the podcast and and me learning too, the a, a cost factor came into mind going yeah you know I, that and, and me looking at the price point going I want to do better for the miles but yet ugh, you know there's a there's a cost factor sure. and I think I think anybody listening to the podcast would think that as well too and I think it's that. You you kind of walk into it, but as you mentioned earlier too, there's there's that cost of the vet. Well, if you don't do this, it's gonna you're gonna have to pay for it at the vet as well yeah. too. You're gonna pay for it eventually. Yeah, and I'm gonna give an example of how I jumped into this, and I want you to go further with this. that yeah. You mentioned you know no kibble shaming, and you mentioned in one episode just add water to that kibble, yeah. and and it'll be amazing what it'll do. Yeah. So let's go. Let's take that to the next steps. Like, what are some simple things that are cost Cost effective. Yeah, cost effective. Really They're on a fixed budget that you know I want to do better for him yeah. or her, but I can't do that. I can't do that. Yeah. But maybe list you know some things that are just really easy to do that are already in the house.
0: Yeah. Um yeah, so water is a good start. You know, uh kibble is about I don't know, seven to ten percent moisture. Their ancestral diet was a prey animal is about 80 percent moisture. So a lot of dogs in this country are suffering. They're just dehydrated all the time. And yeah, you talk to people, I talk to a lot of people in the shop and, you know, they can't keep the dog bowl full, like the, the water bowl full because the dog is constantly trying to catch up. Um, and that's the big thing when people transition to raw food is that they, they call me like two days later, like my dog hasn't like drank any, almost no water in the last two days. I'm like, that's good. The dog is getting their hydration from their food, which is what we want. Um, So just getting the water into food is a huge thing. Um, We we have a lot of customers that come in. We sell one brand of of kibble. And then um, they buy their kibble and they get their goat milk out of the freezer and they're out the door. And then I feel way better about it because I know, okay, the dog's eating processed food, which is fine. But the owner is adding goat milk to it. So they're adding moisture. They're adding naturally um, occurring probiotics. And prebiotics, and then also enzymes. So enzymes are really going to help. Another thing that kibble doesn't have um, is just enzymes. You know, enzymes get cooked out at one seventeen, and kibble gets cooked out at You know, 350, 400 degrees or higher. So um, the dog's pancreas is forced to produce or forced to produce these enzymes to break down the food, the the, the kibble, um, and they have a limited capability of doing that. That's why we are starting to see dogs age at a lot younger, like six to eight years of age they really start to decline um so getting those natural enzymes in there so goat milk is really relatively inexpensive you add a couple ounces in their bowl and it can go a long ways um bone broth um just be careful i don't you know there's definitely certain herbs you don't want to use and there's definitely you know you don't want a lot of sodium in there either um but there's a lot of good companies that are doing uh bone broth for dogs specifically you know, crude carnivore and Fido's bone broth and um, green juju. These are all ones that you can find in a lot of your better pet food stores. Um, And so, you know, those are some great additives. Um, You know, even at home, if you're gonna feed like fruits and vegetables, that's great. Um, I always tell people, the more you break down the fruits and vegetables, the the, the more they're gonna be able to absorb it. So dogs aren't good at absorbing carbohydrates. Um, they don't have any salivary amylase, which is an enzyme that we have in our mouth that breaks down carbohydrates. They don't have that. Um, and they have very little, if any, in their gut. So um, if you puree, let's say a carrot, or you steam a carrot, the dog will actually be able to absorb that nutrients. Um, so I see a lot of times people like treat with like baby carrots and stuff. And I'm like, but have you seen the carrot on the back end? And they're like, yeah, yeah. Because it doesn't change, it just you yeah. see that the carrot goes in, comes out the same way it went in. Um, because it just doesn't, uh, it doesn't. They can't break it down. They have a hard time breaking down cellulose, which is like the cellular wall of a plant cell. So, um, you know, pureeing or steaming the you know fruits and vegetables. Um,
2: and that's not a them. difficult process either. you're not doing anything special to it. I mean, many of us eat vegetables. Yeah, you can
0: actually steam it or puree it and then stick it in the fridge and just use it as like a topper if they like it. Um, I'm also a huge proponent. If you're feeding processed food, they're getting a lot of carbohydrates anyways. So I'm a big proponent of giving them, you know, some more organ meat or some more just meat in general. Um, Raw meaty bones is a great, you know, raw chicken necks, raw turkey necks, raw duck necks, things like that are great additives to their diet. Those are nature's toothbrushes. Um, You look at wild canids; they don't have dental issues, right? You know, (laughs) Um, as a matter of fact, they don't have a lot of the issues our our dogs do
1: Um, because they started started giving Miles the uh, the turkey necks and chicken necks, and you know, and yeah, it's kind of gross at first if you're not used to it, of course, but but it's so fun to watch him go in the backyard. He'll take it and then he sits in the backyard and he just starts chewing on this thing and his eyes close. Yeah, He's enjoying it. Just pure bliss. Just loving it. you know, just whipping it around, just trying to, you know, get at it. It's just so fun to watch him because he just loves that moment of eating it. Yeah. It's for me, I don't
0: think there's anything better for their teeth. Um, a lot of times people feed like greenies and things like that, but you have to understand those are mostly just rice flour. Um,
1: I think that's the first ingredient in most of those, and it's you know, and going to vegetable
0: that, oils and seed oils and things that they yeah, should never be eating.
1: So it, let's talk about ingredients just for a bit. When yeah. you know, if you, so you're conscious about the 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 treats you want to buy, and there's some yeah. good ones on the shelf that sure. are not multi ingredient. Yeah. So what are the ingredients we should be avoiding? The the, the carb stuff that actually are is carbs that it says grain free but maybe it's not, you know, because you're specifically looking for some grain-free, but you're trying to reduce those carbs.
0: Yeah, grain-free doesn't mean carb-free. It's a big, it's kind of a marketing scheme, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Grain-free just means there's no grains, but they use legumes or, you know, um, beans, things like that, um, which are arguably worse. So uh, for me, I just, a lot of the treats we sell in the shop are just single-ingredient treats. I mean, beef liver, chicken jerky, um, bison liver, um, you know, or or there's you know we have some like uh, like Green Juju has like a freeze dried treat and it's it's have like it's like bison is a main ingredient but they have like beets and uh, blueberries like just like other lower glycemic vegetables or fruits in there, um, which are all really you know packed with antioxidants and right. really important vitamins and minerals for them. So it's
1: because um, you want you, you just want to see whole foods. Right. That's all you want to see. You, wanna, you want you you're yeah. trying to do the right thing but then yeah. all of a sudden they're packing in this. Yeah, And I've read that too. I'm going, Well, oh, I put it right back on the shelf. And I'm looking at in other places, like, oh, well, that's, you know, it's like, yeah, I've they, seen that too. That put, that mis- like, not mislabeling, but kind of deceptive. Oh, labeling. Yeah. Green free grain-free. It's like, wait a minute. It has <coughs> tapioca and rice flour. I'm going, well, yeah, yeah okay. There's a lot of things.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, the marketing is a big issue. Um, and there's a lot of people pushing for a more um, accurate depiction of what's what's actually in the bag. Um, because of, right now, if you... Flip your bag of dry food or kibble over and you look at the guaranteed analysis and you'll see protein, fat, moisture, ash. You don't see carbohydrates on there because legally they don't have to put carbohydrates on that label. The sad thing is interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting because the majority of the diet is actually carbohydrates, right? But yet they're excluding that from the list. Um, so if you subtract those things from hundred, you get your carb count. It's usually 40 to 60%, which is an extremely high number, but chart, you know, carbs are really cheap. So, um, yeah. And then, you know, the ingredient label, um, like a lot of times people will find it's by weight, right? So you'll see like beef as a first ingredient. However, they're allowed to put that on the ingredient list before it's processed. Everything else on that list is processed. But that, the meat one, isn't processed. So it's 80% water. So once it's processed, it's down to almost nothing. It really should be the maybe 12th or 13th ingredient on the list. Um, So that's another, there's a whole bunch of.
2: You know, every nutritionist who talks to somebody who's, you know, trying to reconfigure their own diet, they all say, you've got to not just read that list, but understand what's there. Boy, this is even more critical because- um, the regulations are so loose.
0: Very loose. Uh, you know there's a company that uh, you know they just they did a DNA analysis on a, a, a kibble just a few months ago. and it was supposed to be a simple lamb and rice formula. Um, and they found out that there was also turkey, there's chicken, there was venison, there was uh, beef, but there's also dog in the dog food. Um, because a lot of these companies are getting meat from rendering facilities, which are using meat. They're using euthanized animals are using for uh, dead down, diseased animals, 40 animals are using, um, you know, grocery store meats that aren't even unwrapped. They're still wrapped in, you know, the, the plastic uh, and you just throw, throw it in a huge vat and cook it all um, into a powder and sell it to a lot of these uh, pet food companies. So um, yeah, you got to be very careful.
2: Mm. Yeah. So, How many times have you heard clients talk about going to the vet and discussing the issues their pet has and the vet's off on one tangent, they're off of another tangent and and there's just no real conversation. What do people need to be aware of and what do they need to know when they're going to talk to the vet about their pet's food choice?
0: Yeah. I'm a big proponent of finding a vet. I don't, I, you know, I have some customers that just don't tell their vets and I'm not a big fan of that to be honest with you. I, I, I want them to know what my pet's eating. You know, it's really important, if not one of the most important things that they're doing. So, um, yeah. Um, I would say first find a vet that's open to, um, you know, feeding real food. Which is, sounds so sounds so stupid to say, but um, but they're God, out I've there. But you know they're out there. Um, I think the, for
2: those of us who have never been pet owners, this is enlightening. Yeah.
0: But yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there's the what's it the American um, Holistic Veterinary Society. I think it's a the website. If you Google it, it's um, the website pops up, and it will find holistic veterinarians in your area.
2: So, um, so that's something that we should or, put into our show notes to make yeah, sure people can yeah, find. Okay. Yeah.
0: Or integrative, uh, looking for integrative vets as well. Usually the integrative vets are going to be um, either proponents or, or advocates of, of feeding more fresh food. Um, like, you know, my vet at Dr. Carlson at lifetime pet is a very big proponent of it. Um, just cause he is kind of interesting story, but long story short is he saw the difference that whole food vitamins made compared to synthetic vitamins and that turned them on to say, so wait a second, like they're my dogs that are, the dogs that I'm treating with whole food vitamins are doing way better than dogs that are not. Hmm. And um, so then that turned them on the whole food and then that was, that was it. Um, you have to understand, and I don't I don't blame vets for this. Actually, I've talked about this before, but I, I blame the, the education system. Um, I think they're, uh, I think they're failing the veterinarians and the veterinarian students. Um, they're not putting it enough emphasis on nutrition and the nutrition education that they're getting is highly, highly, um, it's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Very influenced by, um, you know, the big box pet food companies. You know, they are, they have feeding programs for the veterinarian students. So, you know, these vet students who are thousands upon thousands, tens of thousand of dollars in debt. Um, they're giving free food to, or like heavily discounted food. Um, so that's kind of how they get them hooked. Um, a lot of these colleges or universities don't want to have, um, you know, someone with the PhD in nutrition come teach about nutrition. They just would rather have like a rep come in and talk to the students about mm-hmm. the food. So you have all these dry pet food and they won't allow raw food companies in there. Um, so there's, I, again, I don't, I don't try to, uh, I don't really, I feel bad for the vets because they're not getting, um, the proper education on nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they're being failed. Um, but I think it's, you know, looking into what you're feeding, you know, I have a lot of, I can't tell you how many times I've had a customer come in and tell me, yeah, I took my dog to the vet and they did like the, you know, a full analysis of my dog and they just couldn't believe like how healthy he looked compared to the last time they saw him. And, um, they asked me like, what have I been doing? I said, well, we, we transitioned to a raw food diet and then they just went off. And he's like, you know, and my customers like, and I told the vet, like, you know, you just told me my dog was the best he's ever looked. You know, he's the healthiest he's ever been, and now you're saying what I'm doing is wrong. You know, mm. um, which is just kind of sad. Mm. Yeah, it's you know, if the evidence yeah. is right in front of you, smacks yeah. you in the face, you still don't see it.
2: Well, know? and an, and an owner is going to feel like, oh my gosh. Yeah, what you know, and person and in a white jacket tells right. you that right. that's wrong, right? Right. Yeah. right. yeah.
0: So I think finding the right vet is is going to be the most important thing, yeah. and I think that'll draw a lot of vets into who are kind of. I mean, there's some some veterinarians that really dug their boots in about this, but there's some veterinarians that are still very open minded, and I think it'll turn more veterinarians to be more open minded about this when they see, um, more and more people feeding real food, fresh food, raw food, and their dogs. They see their dogs and how healthy they are. Um and you know people being honest with them and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of veterinarians too are concerned that people are doing like DIY diets, which I'm I'm okay with as long as you know you've done your research.
2: What tell um, tell me what a DIY diet is?
0: Uh, it's just like a, a do it yourself diet. So um, you know they'll they'll home cook for their dogs or they're put together a raw meal for their dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and there's you know this is funny, Doctor Billinghurst. Australian veterinarian I was talking about before. He's like, you know, wolves and dingoes and coyotes. He's like, they don't have, they don't have, they don't, they don't have spreadsheets out there in the wild. You know what I mean? And and there's a lot of raw feeders that I mean, I swear I used to be one of them that had spreadsheets because I used to do a lot of DIY. I'll just Miles make sure has one. make sure my my <laughs> calcium the phosphorus ratio is a one to one. You know, it's just like it's crazy. And then like you know, and then you watch. Uh, there's a really cool documentary on. Uh, I think it's it was a Netflix. It's called the uh, Kingdom of the White Wolf, I think is what it's called. It's a National Geographic one. It, and this guy is essentially going around like the Arctic Circle following these pack of huge Arctic wolves, right? And these they, these pups are eating, like they might get a bone once every like four days. And we're talking right in like their prime growing stages, you know? And they grow up to be these huge arctic wolves beautiful arctic wolves you know what i mean and they're believe me they're not eating a a complete and balanced diet by afco standards you know but what they are eating is real food you know when they do get the food they are eating real food so um i'm not saying that you shouldn't take it seriously and you shouldn't try to balance it um but getting getting a lot of variety in the diet is a good way to avoid deficiencies and, and making sure you know there's a lot of good books and a lot of good resources on doing diy diets dr judy morgan is a really She's got a famous pup loaf, which is like a recipe online um, that into uh, some raw food um, recipes as well, but she's a good person to follow.
2: Well, you know, we've, <coughs> Anthony's giving us a lot of, of tips and people and and we'll get all of this information in our show notes so sure. our audience can hear it again. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, See. as you mentioned, there's a ton of research out there online. Where would you, would you suggest if you're just starting fresh or the best resources to just dive into as a beginner? As a, I'm interested. Who should who should they look at first? Well, my podcast, one. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course, uh, I was just gonna say you do a yeah. good job of watering this information down and then wetting the listener's appetite. Going, I want to learn more about yeah. it. Yeah. Dr. Um, Karen Becker and you know yeah. Dr. Ian Bellinghurst, that sort of thing. I mean, just yeah, it 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 does get you, it, get, it pulls you in. It, it pulls, really does because it's interesting.
0: Yeah, and but there's there's a lot of good resources. Um I mean, there's good people to follow, right? So you have like yeah, and that maybe that's de- just doctor, the easiest way to do yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, I think it gives you know everyone's attention spans too short these days. So <laughs> social, social media sure. is a good way to kind of sure. get started, and if you're really interested, you can take it further. But like you know, following Dr. Karen Becker. And Rodney Habib, they kind of are um, a pair. And um, following um, Dr. Judy Morgan, very active on on Facebook and, and Instagram. Um, well, even our
1: friend uh, Girls Gone Raw. Yeah. She does yeah, some good yep. stuff too. She's, yeah. 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 Following you know, uh, yeah. Uh,
0: Lauren Becks on uh, yeah. Girls Gone Raw. Um, her Instagram, she's very active on and does a really good job on educating people. Um, she, she's not afraid to put information out there so a lot of times I stuff that doesn't work for her, too. yeah 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 a lot of times yeah. I'll put out information yeah. and, and you know people come you know people from all over to follow me start chiming in and I got to turn the comments off because I just don't have time for that <laughs> um I feel bad for your dogs but that's a whole another thing um so and there's you know there's tons of good books you know there's a re- kind of what I would call a revolutionary book the the um the forever dog that came out is it last year maybe two years ago now? It was very dense with a lot of research and, and de- data and, and, and some really, really awesome studies um, showing how beneficial, but it, it went through a lot. It kind of talked about how toxic the world is that we live in and then it's kind of doom and gloom and then it's about, okay, here's what we can do about it. Um, and feeding real food, feeding fresh food was one of the biggest things you could do. So,
2: Anthony, this has been phenomenal. Uh, and, yeah. and even though I don't have a pet, I have favorite pets, so I do have yeah. to give a shout out to my neighbor's pet Toby, who's one of my favorite little dogs. She's absolutely yeah. adorable. So um, I hope Toby is listening today. Um, we always give our guests an opportunity to give uh, words of wisdom. What have we not had a chance to talk about today, or something that you really want to make sure people have heard?
0: Yeah, I don't know if I have like a like a like a words of wisdom but i guess specifically to the topic we're talking about and i say this a lot brett hears me say it a lot is dogs and and cats for this matter too um cats by the way are obligate carnivores so there's absolutely no reason why they should be eating dry processed pet food but that's a whole different story um dogs and cats for that matter but dogs are not supposed to be gross so we have a lot of um you know if you I always tell people if you go to the park, you go to the dog park, and you and you pet a dog, and it's it's crazy. It's like their teeth are rotting out of their mouth. They have their their are oily. Like you pet them, and your your hands are now oily, and they smell bad. Um, they're pooping out cow pies. None of this should be happening. But this is this is how our mindset is now. We we think of dogs as like these gross like things that live in our house, and it's not. It's not. I have three dogs. They're not gross. You know they. They eat the right diet and that, you know, eliminates a lot of these things from happening. So um, just know that dogs aren't supposed to be gross dogs. I see a lot of it out there with all these, you know, um, a lot of dogs who are severely overweight, um, have lumps all over them, uh, terrible teeth, and it's just kind of starting to become the norm and I don't want that to happen. I'm afraid that's already started to happen, but um, we, can, we can do better. And then also... Just honoring your dog's ancestry. I think, you know, respect respecting their, their evolutionary history. Um, you know, dogs, there's a book called "Embrace Embracing Your Dog's Wild. I think it's by, uh, gosh, what's his name? Brian Bailey, I think is his name. Um, he's a dog trainer. And this is more of a uh, behaviorist kind of perspective, but um, just embracing the wild in your dog. You know, I, I've said this a lot, dogs, they're not wolves. I'm not saying they are, but they do share 99.96 of their mitochondrial DNA with the wolf. Um, it is their closest living ancestor. They do produce viable offspring with wolves. Um, there's wolf dog hybrids out there. So, my point is is that they are very, very similar. Their physiology is almost identical. The way they, the way they eat food, the way they break it down and assimilate it is almost identical to that of the gray wolf. So, um, getting back to those kind of roots you know, especially when it comes to diet um, is really important.
1: Blender. Good. Well, thanks, Anthony. Fangs and Fur Podcast, Fangs and Fur Store, keep that in mind. If uh, You know, go to the, their website and lots of other resources there as well, too. And, and listeners, thank you for joining us. Don't forget to check out our show notes for contact information and resources that we talked about in the episode. And you can find all this as well on our website, lookingforwardourway.com. And we are looking forward to hearing your feedback on this or any of our other podcast episodes.